And some of them would say, I can guarantee you I would make them faster in a single session. And I used to come away thinking, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm they're amazing. I'm, I'm missing something. And as time went on, I, I realized that they're talking absolute bollocks. <laughs> um, you, you can't make someone fast in a single session. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So today on the Pacey Performance Podcast, we have another speaker from the Sportsmith Speed Conference, which is taking place in March at Leeds Beckett University here in the UK. So we've got James Wilde. So James is recently a consultant, but still working at Harlequins Rugby from a research and development perspective, but obviously also as a speed coach. So I put a hypothetical athlete to James, and we talk through exactly what he would do at different points during that journey to develop acceleration. So zero to 10 meters acceleration. So it's a really interesting insight of what, and I suppose how James's philosophy has changed over the last, especially over the last nine years of him doing his PhD and what he thinks matters. And most importantly, and I think most interestingly, what he thinks doesn't matter when it comes to developing acceleration with team sport athletes. So this is a a fascinating episode. For me, it was anyway, and I'm sure it will be for you. So if you wanted to learn more from James and you want to attend the speed conference, the Sportsmith Speed Conference, head over to sportsmith.co forward slash speed hyphen conference and you can book your ticket to see James, to see Jonas Dodu, to see Ryan Grubbs, to see Les Spellman, Alex Natera, etc, etc. But for this episode, over to James and I'm sure you'll love this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Rewire Fitness. While we all know it's important to develop athletes' mental skills, it's often challenging for coaches to figure out how to apply these strategies. So Rewire Fitness is the ultimate coaching solution for helping athletes develop their mental fitness and gain an advantage over competition. The platform integrates evidence-based tools backed by neuroscience and sports psychology, as well as protocols used by NASA and the Navy SEALs to help athletes enhance mental performance and improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. With daily insights into each athlete's readiness, you can identify trends, prevent overtraining, and make informed recommendations with ease, resulting in improved team performance. And they have the data to back it up. Typically, their users reduce their self-related stress by 70%, feel 30% more focused, and feel 30% more ready for performance with just five to 10 minutes of use each day. By implementing Rewire in your coaching practice, you can also support a culture of health and wellness, proactively working to prevent athlete burnout and overtraining. Prioritizing mental wellness and performance is key to success of any team, and Rewire Fitness is the solution to achieve it. Learn more and schedule a demo at rewirefitness.app forward slash Pacey. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable, and trusted by teams at every level of sport. 
Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. So without further ado, over to the episode with James. James Wilde, welcome back to the Pacey Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you again. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure to be back again. Yes, absolutely. It's been a while since you came on, but I know we'd normally go through bio and things like that, but I think we've done probably done that twice or three times already. So if anyone wants to get the full bio, they can go back and listen to the previous episodes. But since we last spoke, a couple of things have changed work-wise, a little bit of a shift to a more consultancy basis. Would you mind just giving a bit of a, a little bit of an update? So um, my so my role currently, I guess I'm split between a, as a consultant, primarily working with uh, Harlequins Rugby Club. Um, so that works out to be about kind of three days a week. But so that is in an R&D capacity as, as well as maintaining the kind of speed related stuff that I've been doing there for a while. So that involves really, you know, any kind of project based work there might be aspects of the game or individual things about players that we want to look at and delve in deeper a bit more try and get you know some actionable information to help kind of drive performance forward um and then still yeah as i said doing the speed stuff with those guys so it's going kind of eight nine seasons i think now um outside of that then i am still lecturing at university of surrey in sports science and then i kind of do various bits of project-based consultancy stuff outside of that as well but uh, but yeah so that, that that's kind of where i sit at the minute and you've got i've just come to my mind from what i saw on twitter the day second version of the book Yes, second version of the book. It is out. Yep, yep. Horrible hate. I, I don't recommend writing a book. It's not not pleasant. Um, but yeah, so that that's out. Um, finally put to bed my PhD, which is a relief. And then um, there's two book chapters that are going to be coming out, um, I guess, this year, I think, really this year. One of them next year, maybe the other one that I've been involved in co-authoring with various other people who are, are, are very good. Um, so yeah, so all, all good. Excellent. And I have the pleasure in welcoming you to the Sportsmith Speed Conference in March. Yes, well. looking forward Taking to it. Taking a long yeah. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm looking forward, like as we were speaking earlier, it'd be good to, you know, meet some people in the flesh that, you know, converse with a reasonable amount over, you know, internet and social media. So it'd be nice to actually meet people in person. Yeah, like I said to you before, that's been a big driver of mine, just to get people in the same room and Jackie, like you said, meet people that you see like this virtually or you chat to on the phone. So to actually meet a real human being will be uh, will be a pleasure. So yeah, looking forward to having you. But what I want to do with these, I've spoke to Les, going to speak to Jonah, speak to a few people that were going to be at the uh, Sports of Speed conference in March and just get them on the podcast, maybe give them a bit of a teaser of what's coming. However, with our chat today, we're going to go a slightly different route. And I think I've done this maybe a little bit of once part of an episode before where we've had a bit of a hypothetical athlete and we get the guest AU to uh to take us through your process so what i was going to do was give you me as the high level incredibly fast agile jumps like a salmon type player when i wasn't that kind of person so what i'm going to say to you is we've got you've got an athlete coming to you who's a professional footballer they're going to meet you in the gym for the first time. What is the first thing? And they want to get fast. Their, their remit is they want to improve their, their acceleration. Okay. They come to you, don't know anything else about them. 
What's the first thing you do when you meet them in the gym for the first time? So I guess you, you, you've covered part of some of the key elements there in that, you know, I, I guess I'd want some higher level background information prior to that. So, um, you know, and that's most likely, I guess, to be gleaned, you, you know, from the wider performance team and the coaches in terms of what their expectations are. And, you know, we're assuming then this context that they are talking about linear speed as a capacity rather than, you know, changing direction and, and you know, responding appropriately to, to a stimulus, et cetera, et cetera. So, we, so we're talking here in the context of, right, linear kind of sprinting capacity, right? Is that yep. Yep. Let's go assumption? with that. Yeah. 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 Okay, fine. Um, so assuming that's been identified as important for that person, because, you know, it's not always going to be important. Um, really, I think to get to get started, there's probably minimal information that, that I'd actually need. So let, let me let me pose you a question about so if, um, you know, if you were putting together a, a strength based program for someone for the first time, we're just trying to improve their general maximum strength. What information would you need to get started? Do you reckon previous injuries? Okay. Previous. All right. So, yeah. so if we we we'll go kind of one by one there. So, absolutely, okay. I'd want I'd want to know previous injury history. Right. So, are there certain things that um, you know have they got an injury history that's going to mean that I need to adapt or be careful of doing certain things within within the training, right? And then also from that, you can get information about, right, there's this previous injury and I can see that they're doing X, Y, and Z in terms of their movement strategy now. That might be related. So is there something unresolved there or is that something we had to work with? So certainly in injury history, definitely going to need to know. What, what else were you going to say? The current level of performance. So if right, it's no. strength-based, like how strong are they now? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so ideally at some point relatively soon when working with them, I'd, I'd want to know, you know, generally how fast they are. Now, I guess that information is likely to already exist, you know, from the kind of performance team there. But but at some point, relatively early, I might want to get some kind of performance based measures of how fast they are. Yep. What else? I suppose so again, if you go on. No, no. So I say, get, so, you know, so if you're if, if you were going to program a strength session for someone for the first time, you'd want to know a bit about their training history, right? So what what have they done previously and what are they currently doing? And then based on that, what are you going to do? You're probably going to do, unless it's something ridiculous, you're going to kind of maybe start off with the same kind of thing and, and you know, have a little bit of time with them to see where they're at and make a decision of where to go next. Is that yeah. fair enough? So it's, it's exactly the same. You, you know, it'd be exactly the same from a speed perspective. And so this is where... You know, sometimes, and we've previously talked about, I think where people tend to struggle, or or not maybe not so much now, but maybe struggle a little bit more with on-field speed stuff compared to programming in the gym. But in reality, the the level of information you initially need to get going, and and what you do initially is, you know, based on the same kind of principles and building up a bit of, you know, more, you know, to start with, relatively surface level information, and and that's absolutely fine. You know, we, we don't need anything more um comprehensive really to get started and um, so just we're to, likely to, just to interrupt there I'm, I'm probably going to do this quite a bit so i'm going to apologize yeah, up front. probably should have done it seven minutes ago <clears throat> but have we have we complicated this part of the of the process have, have we made it more try to well, not try to but has it naturally become more 
complex and it's complicated things and maybe put people off or just confuse people when actually based on them three things you don't actually need much to get going i i think so i think you you know and there's vast amount of information out there and it's difficult to decipher what what's useful or not but in terms of getting going with someone that's all you need right because you can't you can't make real individualized prescription for someone without being able to build up some information about them and being able to build up some meaningful information about them is going to take time right so you know i'll start with a few weeks of you know stuff exploratory stuff really of seeing where they're at trying to make some decisions as to where to take them but during that time i'm going to get them doing some speed related stuff but it's going to be closely linked to what they've already been doing already and and just tweaking and prodding and, and see how they go on with stuff and you know it, it's exactly the same as setting a gym program for someone right in, in that in that regard so yeah I, I do think you know there's a tendency to overcomplicate things from the start um Go on. I was just going to say, based on our previous conversations, would be if you had endless resources, endless amounts of time to build up this package of of information and detail of information, would you do any sort of assessments before you actually get them out there? What on would the track I do? Page? Would you do any no, specific? Okay, cool. No, no, nothing specific. I'd, I'd want to ideally have prior footage of them, if possible you know, during matches and training and, you know, just, just to kind of start to get a feel for them. And then any prior information that exists from performance and, and medical teams. But I I wouldn't necessarily do, um, you know, and again, given that, you know, if I've got a reasonable amount of time, um, that, then I'm, I'm not going to want to do any kind of test right off the bat with them, really. I'd, I'd want to start to build a more subjective picture of the individual and try and understand them a bit more from that, from a more, I guess, qualitative standpoint. Um, along the way, yes, I'm going to collect some data on them, some more kind of objective-based information as well. Um, but but right from the outset, I, I don't necessarily need that. Um, but uh, but over those over that kind of initial exploratory period of them, I, I, I want both forms of information to come together to eventually inform what what I might do with them from a more kind of individualized standpoint. And it really, one of the things that does wind me up is, you know, you'll get some, I know maybe coaches that say often like track coaches or no, that's probably not fair, not track coaches, but, but any kind of, you know, more sports coach say, oh, sports science is bullshit. We don't need that information with, you know, with, you know, coach for years, we have the experiential knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, discounting anything number base. And then you've got the other end of the scale of, you know, people, oh, we need this, these numbers, this information to direct things. And, and it's not one end of the, the spectrum. It, it's, you know, a combination of both is best. You know, just relying on numbers alone is, and, and not considering context and history and that more qualitative understanding is, is you know, definitely likely to do the athlete a disservice. But at the same time, if we don't have some kind of objective information, then we're going to be prone to bias and charlatanism and, you know, all, all that all that kind of stuff. So so the two together, in my mind, are really important. And how they come together um, can then help inform a more individualized approach if you need to get to that point with them. OK, so, yeah, absolutely. So we're looking at in the future, we're going to an individual as individualized approach as possible. That's the that's the aim for the down the line. 
you've got them in the gym, you've had a chat, you've got all this information, you've got some previous footage, you've said two words there that might scare people, subjective and qualitative. So you've taken them out, you've got this exploratory period of, I don't know, a couple of sessions per week for a couple of weeks. What are you looking for when you're watching this guy or girl sprint? So you're getting doing, doing some training straight away. What are you looking for? Because I think this is the the section or the part of the process that in just in my experience of myself, but also speaking to others and just reading things online, this is the bit that scares people. It's okay, use your coaching eye to understand how they move. Right, okay, go on. Like, what am I looking for? What what am I, how am I how am I building this picture? And without experience, obviously that that helps. But the majority of people out there will be coaches with probably a lesser end of experience. So what are you actually looking for? And how can we help build this picture to be able to move on to the quantitative stuff if we get there at all? Well, I, I mean, I think one, one of the phrases you use there is to better understand their, you know, the way in which they sprint on the movement. I think that that for me is what, it should primarily be be focused on trying to better understand them rather than trying to figure out then what they need. Um, and, and I think that's part part of the issue. I think sometimes there's a tendency to, and I, and I understand it, and I was, you know, have been there as well and, and done it where, you know, you might have someone, you watch them sprint, and you might be under the impression that you need to come up with a, something or a solution to solve what they're doing to make them run faster and and you can't make that decision there and then now you know there might be something really glaring you know from a movement perspective that you know is an outlier that you think okay that you know likely needs to be addressed so if if we have our you know basic kind of technical model that you know they're all usually the same kind of things people talk about I, I probably won't go into it now but we might have a basic technical model in mind just to kind of see where people stack up relative to that and it, and if someone's really outside of that they're real outliers then yes that might give us course to think that okay at, at some point I might want to start moving them more towards a bit of an a, more of an idealized model but we can't for the majority of times, we can't make a decision there and then as to, to know what we need to do with that individual. Um, one of the things I get really quite frustrated at that, right? When I, when I first kind of so when I when Be I careful. first sound really old now, but when I first started um, kind of speed coaching that kind of stuff. You know, I would be quite you, you know I'd be watching the individual sprint and I'd be thinking to myself, right, okay, I need to see what they're doing technically. And, you know, try and work out something to try and make them faster now. And, and, you know, and I'd have spoken to various kind of coaches in that area and stuff. And, you know, we'd sit down and, and, I, and I'd talk about, you know, it, it's, well, it, it's probably quite tricky to make a technical change soon, you know, in acute situation to make them faster. And some of them would say, I can guarantee you I would make them faster in a single session. And I used to come away thinking, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm, they're amazing. I'm, I'm missing something. And as time went on, I, I realized that they're talking absolute bollocks. <laughs> um, you, you can't make someone fast in a single session. You, you can't. It, it, it's, 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 not, it's not possible. You know, you've got, if we're talking about an adult, 
you know, an adult that has been sprinting for however long you think. So for you, you're, you're the athlete here, right? So when, when did you first start sprinting? When a pretty good run. <laughs> right. So we're talking kind of taught like, you know, when, when you first try to run as fast as you can in your toddler years, right? If my kids, if they, if I chase my kids, they sprint. If I run after them with a stick, they, they sprint faster, right? But I, I not once and nor would I do this. I've, I've never taught them how to sprint, right? So, you know, by the time they, someone gets to adulthood, a, an athlete comes to you as an adult, they sprinted for a very, very long time. So they've learned to sprint according to their individual characteristics. And at that moment in time, it will be, you know, likely the most effective and the most efficient way of sprinting for that individual at that time. So to expect to be able to make an acute change that, say, from a technique standpoint, that, that results in better performance is, is nonsensical. Right? We, we need, again, more information and more time to be able to start to be able to act on something. Now, I'll, I'll take you back to, yes, there, there might be some generalized things around a basic technical model that we might feel is benefit to them and we can nudge them towards that, but only if we have an understanding of how that might support the external force outcomes to improve performance rather than just because it looks like X, Y, and Z. Um, but, but it's about building up you know, a, a, a picture of that individual over time and, and using that time period for speed training itself. Okay. So, you know, having someone just sprint without you commenting on how they're doing it from a technique point of view is absolutely fine. Um, and, and it's the most effective kind of format of the speed training, because ultimately we're, we're trying to do what we're trying to elicit um, force generating capacities and, and the adaptations for that and technical adaptations and by practicing the task itself is likely to give us the biggest bang for our buck there so having someone just sprint provided they're cleared medically to do so and it's appropriate in terms of the the, the volumes etc that they're doing is absolutely fine and um, we don't need to have you know much in the way of a technical understanding of how they move so let them get on with it because they're going to be doing it anyway and you might want to help them build up better tolerance to it so during that, going back to your initial kind of question there, during those initial few weeks, you know, just letting them crack on is fine. Um, and, and observing them in, in the way in which they move, um, you don't need to worry too much about being able to understand everything. All right. So let, let's come back to um, the kind of the more basic technical model elements and that, that, that we might look to. So I'm, I'm just going to go through one example rather than trying to pick out loads of different things. But so let's say that, um, you know, we often hear, um, so the concept around uh, having stiff ankles. So during acceleration, let's say stiff ankles during the contact phase. And um, broadly, I, I agree with the, where that kind of concept is coming from. I think people sometimes take it too literally and think that you know minimizing dorsiflexion or limiting dorsiflexion completely is 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 what we're after here but but it but it's not you know and in fact more dorsiflexion in some cases is shown to relate to say a higher um, ratio of force so being able to orient the ground reaction force more horizontally during acceleration but what what people are mainly meaning 
is um, limiting the amount of which the, the foot drops, the heel drops towards the ground, because we have to have ankle dorsiflexion. Um, but primarily in those first few steps, we want that to come more so through the the, the shin rotating forward as opposed to the, the, the heel dropping towards the ground. Because if our foot is in a stable position, then it uh, means that we have an anchor and a foundation for the, for the hip extensors to be able to push and accelerate us forward. Um, so, you know, there might be some things like that that I'd be looking out for. So I'd have this generalized technical model in mind, stiff ankles. Okay, so what, what do I actually mean by that? Well, broadly speaking, I don't want to see a big hill drop towards the ground and one that stays there prolonged. And then my center of mass is, you know, moving further forward of that base of support. We've got that lengthened pantoflexor, Achilles tendon. We're going to have an increase in the external moment arm because my center of mass is going to move that much further beyond that base of support. So then we've got, no extra force requirement from the plantar flexor. So it's in a more precarious situation from an injury standpoint. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would be looking for. Um, and and I wouldn't, you know, automatically jump to, right, we need to stop them doing that. Um, but that might then build on to looking at other things in terms of strength related qualities around the ankle that might be impacting um, that technical aspect. So that, that's an example of the type of things that I'd be looking for when they're sprinting. I, I wouldn't be getting caught up in too much in terms of, um, you know, we need exact positions at, at all that, you know, everyone's going to have some kind of variability that's natural to them. And, and that variability is going to vary sprint to sprint as well. But so that's an example of the type of thing. So I'll be looking at, right, is there something that I think is potentially um, precarious from an injury standpoint, but then also does it have um, an impact potentially on performance? So that's the kind, kind of thing that I'd be looking to, to um, kind of get my head around, try and get some visuals. Having video there helps with that. What I'd also be doing along the way, though, is that I'd, I would have times when they will sprint and i will measure their sprint performance say over 10 meters and i might use video to collect some uh, technique based variables um but with a view to seeing over time what it is that that athlete does when they're running their fastest so rather than looking at the numbers and saying right well elites you know achieve these kind of numbers or, or those numbers from a technique standpoint i'll look at right for that individual how do those numbers change in respect to their performance? So the idea being is that, it, you know, technique that it's not necessarily about a one size fits all approach. It's what works for each individual. And that's going to vary based on their individual constraints. So if I can see for an athlete that, um, you know, they are running their fastest, say when their step rate is higher, um, then that might mean that that becomes more of a technical focus for that individual, because we know that results typically in them running fastest. And then, then it's quite a, it's a nicer conversation to have with that individual as well, because rather than saying, right, well, such and such sprints in this way and he's really fast. So that's what you should do. It's more about, right, well, let's let's consider you more and saying, right, when you're doing this, you're running your fastest. So maybe we explore that as, as a route to try and at least help maintain your, your speed or, or, or get you faster. And, and I tend to find those conversations are a little bit more kind of meaningful there. Um, so, you know, by the time we've got to the end of this exploratory um, phase, I'd, I've picked up, you know, 
might might be a couple of things in relation to that generalized technical model of thing okay they, they could possibly do with tweaking but then i've also worked out for that individual you know what the kind of things they're doing when they're running their fastest um and and then we might focus on that and then in that period as well there you know might be various strength kind of related diagnostic tests that we look at as well to to, to help guide things from there We'll go into the strength-related diagnostics in a minute. I know that's something we've covered on a previous episode, but we'll go over that again because things may have changed. But you mentioned the variability from sprint to sprint. Is that one of the downfalls of uh, filming one, two, three sprints, then making a call? This has to be done over a certain length of time to understand that variability, and then we can start to put things in place. So one of my major, major bugbears I have is people, you know, say filming a single sprint, or they might have even done, say, three sprints on a single occasion, but picked out, say, the best one. And they're saying, right, this then represents that individual and their technique. And but it but it doesn't. So that, you know, there is inherent biological variability within each person. So that that's a natural thing. So in, in other words, no one will perform, you know, a single uh, uh, a sprint in the same way ever again. So there's always going to be slight variation in in the measures that we can obtain. Typically, um, if we look at spatial temporal variables, so things such as step length, um, step rate or frequency, contact time and flight time, they tend to be relatively stable. So there's still some variability with those sprint to sprint for each individual, but they're relatively stable for that individual. Then we might get on to things such as linear kinematics. So that might be, for example, the horizontal distance from where your foot touches down to the center of mass. Um, so touchdown distance. And then we might look at that um, at the point of toe off as well. Um, so, and, and then the distance that the center of mass travels during the contact of a sprint, so contact length. So they would be linear kinematics. They tend to be a little bit more variable for individuals. And then we'll get to um, angular kinematics. So segment angles, joint angles, angular velocities, range of motions at the joints they tend to be more noisier still. So the more noisy uh, a variable is, the more um, efforts we need to, uh, more sprinting efforts we need to collect a representative um, mean for that value for that individual, if that makes sense. And, and that will vary according to the, the, the technical feature you're measuring, but also the individual athlete that you, you're measuring as well. Some will naturally have a more variable technique than others. So we run the risk of, you know, if we're collecting that information from a single sprint and saying, right, here's their technical features and their sprint performance. And then we do it, say, six weeks, eight weeks down the line again, a single sprint effort. And we're saying, look, they've got faster or this technique has changed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that that's not the case. So you have to take into account, um, you know, that kind of variability for an individual. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't, use that information from a visual representation standpoint and and look at it from a bit more of a a qualitative standpoint and say generally you can see these kind of patterns techniques and you know it's either relatively stable here to here or it looks like there's been a a bit of a change and i'm all for that but if we're actually going to quantify things we're actually going to record numbers and report pre-post intervention changes in technique and performance if we don't take into account that variability, then we are presenting false information, basically. Okay, interesting. 
So we'll go back to the strength-related qualities now on the diagnostic side of things. So using your ankle stiffness as potentially the example, and we can jump off there for the other parts of the probably lower limb. What would be, so you identified that there's the heel, heel dropping during acceleration. You want to learn more about the strength qualities related to that and what can be linked in. Where do you go from there? Yeah, so as you said, we, we, we've talked about this a, a, a bit before, so I'll, I'll, I'll try not to go over old ground. Um, and there's obviously a number of different different ways to do things, but, but I always try to link things to the internal joint um, uh, joint kinetics of, of, of the athlete, because essentially the, the internal system, you know, the muscles crossing the joints and the moments of the talks that they're producing are ultimately what combine to help influence the ground reaction forces. And, and that that's what I kind of tie in most closely to my gym related strength stuff too. So if, if I'm wanting to look at, as you say, the more kind of ankle stiffness type measures, um, I look at a, a unilateral in-place jump test. Um, so based on similar to um, the 10-5 um, method of, of kind of that, that Damien came up with, but but a single an adapted kind of single leg version. But so you know, just hopping up and down. So I'll get reactive strength index, contact time, and, and flight time. And I know that the the contact times are very correlated to vertical stiffness. So I won't just look at the RSI. I'll look at the contact times as well. But so broadly, you know, that that would give me my kind of ankle stiffness and reactive strength type measures. Um, I'll then use a, a hip extensor torque assessment. Um, based on methods of, of John Goodwin, but again adapted and look at the more single leg version. So, so what's you know, that? like so just a, jump. Oh, Jerry, mate, I've jumped no, in no, before no, you're going to explain it. Just would you mind explaining that? What I'm yeah, actually no, sure. Like. So you'd imagine someone lying on their back, hips fixed beneath an immovable bar. The side that you're testing, the heels in contact with the force plate. You're then bent at the knee, the other legs up, as if you're trying to do a single leg hip thrust towards a, you know, trying to push a bar up towards the ceiling. So then I can get, you know, peak kind of force and we could look at torque measurements and you know rate of force type measures so i can get right my hip extensor force generating capacity what what's that like because that that's particularly important for the first portion of the stance phase and accelerating the center of mass forward um, and the hip and the ankle their relationship's important and 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 you know the research shows kind of over and over again that that the hip and, and primarily more so the ankle uh, you know those joint moments are more related and the joint power is more related to, to acceleration performance but then the knee is still important as well you know the, the knee's got a function at, um, effectively as well and, and we know that um, you know something like a squat jump is perhaps a bit more knee dominant to, to coin a, a nebulous kind of term but so I'll use a you know squat jump based assessments I might use something like JB and Samazino's um, squat jump um, profile but essentially what I'm trying to get from that is an idea of their total leg um, extensor concentric based um, explosive strength qualities with a bit more of a bias to the knee. And so then from those, those three strength based assessments, they'll give me a bit of you know information for individuals to, to help me identify whether, you, you know, those strength qualities or one of those strength qualities is holding them back from from better sprinting performance. And that might be a direct force generating issue from the muscles to, you know, express external forces when I'm sprinting. Or it might be that there might be something from a, a technical standpoint 
that's linked to those strength qualities that then in turn can help augment the external forces to, to, to run faster as well. So it's, it's a kind of a double-edged sword there. So, so they're important, um, but not, not certainly not the be all and end all. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with James. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we continue with the journey of this hypothetical athlete, what James would do at various times along the journey of trying to understand the intricacies of their technique and then further down the line, how to actually improve it. So fantastic episode, part two of this episode coming up with James. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And now back to the episode with James. Just back to that hip talk assessment. What angle are you looking at at the knee of the leg that's working? And obviously the hip. And are you on the bench or are you on the floor, shoulders on the floor? I, I, shoulders on the floor, I do it. And, and again, it, it's just, it, it's the method that I've kind of developed and used over the time in my research and my PhD, blah, blah, blah. So there's, you know, reason and rationale for doing all sorts of uh, different ones. Um, I'll, I'll usually adjust the, the, the hip angle and then let the knee angle to go whatever angle it goes to when it's in the center of the full space base based on the hip. And I'll try to align that more towards the type of angles you're talking about an acceleration, but what's within practical, uh, but taking into account the practicalities of the test as well. Um, or I might have a more extended kind of limb if I'm looking at max kind of velocity type stuff. There, there's a paper um, that was recently published. Um, it, it's 
the broad title, something like characterizing initial acceleration strategies, the full kind of protocols for those tests that I use, they're in there if people want kind of in-depth information on it. And that's your paper? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. Interesting. I love how you say all that were blah, blah, blah. <laughs> all that work on into PhD. I know. I know. You get, you know. <laughs> well, it's fun. You, you know, you get, you get one a bit kind of sick of it, but then also you realize... You know, it's only so important, right? <laughs> you, do, you spend nine years of your life doing a, a PhD and applying it in your practice and thinking, okay, well, it's important to a point, but it's not that important. <laughs> okay. So what's the point? That, that's, that, I think that's really interesting. And I'd, I'd like to just, I don't know if it's more of a philosophical chat versus going through our hypothetical athlete, but do you get to that point and go, I might be a bit sick of it and I've got over the, like, I've finished now, but does it change your thought process in terms of how important the things that people say are important? But because you've gone down this road, you're like, I'm seeing all this and I'm just not sure. All, like everyone's getting hyped up about X or Y. I'm just not sure it's all that important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's and, that, and that's been probably the most valuable thing about doing my PhD. And, 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 you know, lots of people will slag off academia and science and, you know, said it towards the start and then people will slag off coaching and think they're all you know charlatans and all that kind of stuff but and so that's what it, it's been really useful because I've I've sat on both sides for a very long time you know so my, my PhD was based on the applied work I was doing with people and it kind of dovetailed really nicely but but yeah so you, you get to a point and you know uh, people will bang on about context right and understanding the bigger picture and and it and it really is important because it's very easy to get bogged down with the minutiae and you know you might hear someone say this thing is really important well and then if you go and thoroughly investigate that you'll probably find out well it's not or it is for this person in this situation but not for that person in that situation so therefore again it comes back to trying to better understand an individual and their needs because then if you can direct your intervention at those individual needs and it becomes more meaningful than than applying a blanket all kind of a, approach um but the, the phd was i would 100 percent recommend it for people looking to improve their applied practice it, it's definitely definitely helped me in that regard <clears throat> and as you say one of the things being able to spot when something's bs a bit more certainly help, helps with that um i spent the first probably I don't know, four years of it, investigating a lot of things that people said were important for sprinting. And it turned out to be, you know, either not important or again, just just lacking any context behind when it isn't important and, and, and isn't. Right. Um, Hold your horses. I don't want to chuck anyone under the bus, individuals under the bus, but concept wise, can, can you give us any examples there? Yep. Um, okay. So taking technical features in isolation um, and expecting them to aggregate up to this idealized technical model that results in best sprint performance for everyone that you know that's uh I spent a long time a long time and and the original intention for me was to try and find out you know the techniques that were transferable across people that would be most important for their performance and I, I just couldn't couldn't find them one is a slight um, issue with the way in which that research was carried out, like to expect that uh, 
result is probably initially naive on my behalf but i had to go through that process to find out that you know we need to consider things in much more of a holistic way in order to um you know take someone forward we you know you you cannot expect everyone to sprint in the same way it, it's you know it's impossible you've got a single person won't sprint in the same way twice so to then expect someone with a very different physical makeup to um you know adopt the same technique as them and you know improve their performance it, it, it just you know doesn't quite work like that so again it comes back to yes having a, a general idea of basic technical elements is useful but then I also find with those, a lot of those technical models is that they end up just explaining how people sprint right so it, it, you know rather than saying it, you know I, I don't necessarily agree that all best sprinters or all fast people sprint in this way or, or adopt all these common technical elements there, there are certain things that you know would, would make sense uh, common sense and you can see how they might link to the external forces to drive motion of the body forwards and how they might help prevent um you know injury to, to some extent but people have got an amazing way of compensating based on their various characteristics to still achieve same performance outcome so so it, it, it's you know trying to unpick all of that can get quite messy which brings me back to what we were saying earlier and that it's fine to just let people sprint and crack on provided they're medically clear to do so they're not carrying injuries blah 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 and it's done in a progressive way let them sprint you know jump lift throw all those kind of stuff and 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 for the majority of team sort settings that that's all they need to do you know it, it's then the window of adaptation then reduces over time right so you know then you might need to start tweaking the needle a bit more and getting a little bit more individualized which is then where more of the some you know more, more of the individualized picture of the the person becomes more important as you go so we've gone through that exploratory phase, however many weeks it is. We're transitioning. Okay, now I've kind of got a picture of what he or she sprints like, accelerates like. I've got this additional information in terms of quantitative stuff from my strength-related assessments. I've got some qualitative stuff that I've done via film. Now we're starting to get into a situation where, okay, I'm going to try and make a few tweaks to improve because I've got this relatively solid picture of where this person's at. Where do we go? Where, right. where do we go from there? So, so let's say for example, then, so if you, if you're, you're my athlete, right. Or sorry, the athlete I'm working with, you're not, I don't own you. Um, and let's say that we've found out that um, typically you are running a fastest when your step rate is higher. Okay. So, so we've looked at say, 12, 15 different sprints. And we can see that there's a, a strong and meaningful relationship between your step rate and your 10 meter time, whereby when your step rate's higher, your 10 meter time is, is you know, lower, so better. Um, and then from that also, we're able to glean, right, it, is that from more driven from contact time or flight time? Because of the contact and the flight times make up what your step rate or step frequency is. So let's say that, I don't know, we, we've, figured out that it's when your contact time is shorter that's when you're um running fastest through through a, a, a higher step rate so what what i would do is is then with that information i would sit down with the athlete or i might be on the field with them or whatever and go through that with them it, you know in a simple way that they can understand and say right based on that information go away and see if you can figure out how to do that so i might let them go away for five ten minutes 
do a few sprint efforts themselves to you know see if they can um figure out what what's that what that means for them i then might get them to come back to me and i don't know might pose a question right how does that feel how could you latch on to a a phrase or a feeling of what that's like to you um and they might say i don't know it's skating or you know whatever it is okay fine well so what i want you to do now then i'm going to record another three sprints of you where you're doing that and we're just going to quality check that the change that we're trying to make here acutely is actually resulting in the technical change that we want so in other words you, you know they'll come back to me they'll sprint in front of the camera i'll then go away and quantify right have we managed to make in that acute setting the technical change so that the decreased contact time to increase the the, the step rate um, has that kind of resulted in that technical change or not um so that's the first thing because people often don't quality check that so they might be wanting to make a technical change so they develop some kind of cue or whatever they then go away but they don't actually check then if it's actually changed or not some of that yes you'll be able to see from the coaching eye but sometimes you can't no matter who you are sometimes you can't see that from the coach's eye so therefore again objective information to back up that is quite important so um, then I'll look at that video and then I'll look from a more qualitative point of view as well and say, right, you know, broadly, how do the movements look in relation to, um, you know, again, more tools like an idealized technical model, roughly. And let's assume that, you know, you've managed to work out a way in which you are, I don't know, let's say that you are terminating your, your ground contact phase sooner by um, flexing your hips slightly earlier at the end of the stance phase. All right, so you're striking the same way, you're just able to bring, you know, hooking your, your, um, ripping the hip forward more to help with your step rate. And let, let's assume that, you know, qualitatively, you know, looking at it, you've still got reasonable hip extension range at the end of the stance phase there. And um, then we might say, okay, fine. I'm generally happy with that. Right. So then what I want you to do is your athlete. All the times in the week, at the end of the warm-ups or in the speed sessions. So if they're end of the warm-ups when you're doing, you know, some accelerations to finish off the warm-up, um, even prior to a match as part of your warm-up, and then during, you know, if there's one, two, or might not be any, but if there's a speed session of the week and we're doing acceleration-based work, I want you to focus on that, um, on that kind of technical feature for you. Okay. Don't ever do it in a game or in training when you need to run fast because you will run slower as a result. But the idea being is that the consistency of that effort over time will create a learning effect that will bias your future movement of that. So in other words, it will start to transfer over subconsciously without you, you know, without you knowing that, that it's happening. And then we'll need to arrange, you know, ideally periodically, periodic tests to then see, right, has that tech has that technical change become stable? Um, you know, so you'll get them to sprint without thinking when you're testing. So has there been a change in, in that technique and how has it or not impacted the, the, the performance? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I've got a question for you. It's something we chatted about before and it's come up a few times. That periodic testing, whether it's weeks or months, what may scare people and has probably done the same to you is if that is not improved or it's even gone backwards. What what's what's your how do you deal with that yeah no you're, you're right and and it, and it is a thing so i guess in an ideal world you want to make sure that with that repeat testing they're in the same state um each time so you can get a you know usual a, a fair fair enough comparison but again i'd bring you back to a single 
one here and there does not give you that information. So you might need, I don't know, you, you might decide over a period of two or three weeks to do, you know, two couple of assessments each of those weeks to build up a big enough picture. But it's you can track trends over time. So even if you are doing single kind of repeat tests, if you're building an up, uh, up enough over time, then you can start to see the trends over time rather than, again, just not relying on a single point here and a single point there. But, okay, so let, let's assume that best case scenario, you can see that there's, you, you know, this change in performance for, for the better. You know, that, that's what you want. Um, if the change in technique that you're after has migrated towards that change over time as well, then, you know, it, that's a reasonable showcase that the technical change that you're after has worked in, in, in favor, right? If you, if you haven't made any change, well, they haven't got slower, so that's a bonus. Um, if they haven't got faster um, and the technique has changed, then there's a number of things there. It might be that not enough time has allowed for it to translate to a point of faster sprinting performance. Or it still might not be, and um, might not have changed enough, or it still might not be the right thing for them. In which case, okay, let's go back further investigation. What do they need? If they've got slower, and you are able to rule out factors that, you know, I don't know, they they might have been tested in a more fatigued state um, compared to before, or they were carrying a niggle or whatever. If you can rule out all of those things, then again, it's kind of a back to the drawing board as to right. What's going in there? What's going on there um, that that might be causing them to run slower? What what I would what I would say though is that that's probably actually quite rare, provided you've taken into account enough repetitions of the sprint. Which again brings me back to don't go to single tests and, and compare those alone, because you might just be at the lower end of their natural variability for that test compared to they might have been at the higher end, you know, before if, if that makes sense. So again, it, it's a it's a continual kind of process of trying to combine subjective and objective information to to help you know take them forward from there, um, and then obviously it's taken on board their thoughts and feelings as well as as well as the wider performance and medical team in, in in the picture. It's an ongoing process, but it doesn't have to be a really labor intensive one, because for a lot of it you you can literally let them crack on, you know, provided they understand what they're doing. You don't have to be there the whole time to hold their hand to tell them what to do. It's one of the things that I don't know why, but it grates me somewhat. I think in a lot of settings that I feel like, right, we have to deliver the warm up to the person all the time. We have to control that. We have to be there to coach them in the sprinting to tell them what to do. You don't. You know, yes, it's obviously useful at times. And when you're going through certain the phases of exploration that we talked about, making sure they know what they're doing and your quality checked. But after that, just a periodic check-in or just a nudge of make sure you're doing this or you're communicating with other guys in the team that when their sessions with them at the end of the warm-up, they're just nudging them about that. You don't have to be there the whole time with them. And, you know, let, let them go and figure it out for themselves somewhat. Have you become more comfortable with doing that as you've got more experience? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Initially, you know, I I thought that, you know, being there the whole time and trying to tell them what to do and was the way the best way to go about it but 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 it's not but i guess the confidence to let that go um comes through experience over time right um and i completely understand 
why someone would go into a situation and I've done it, go into a situation, feel like you have to be there talking lots, tweaking it, you know, da 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 da. Um, but provided you're clear up front, up front on the process, and and I, I found I find this a, a really kind of useful, interesting conversation with the athletes to have. Say, look, over these first few weeks, I'm probably not gonna do much with you. You know, we're going to collect some information. I might ask you some questions. I might see how you respond to my instructions. But ultimately, I don't want to try and make a change until I've got more information about you. And they're usually like, okay, yeah, no, that fair enough. Because you know what it's like. They're used to people coming in and saying, right, do this, do that, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if I, I think they fully understand without, you know, knowing in detail that humans are quite complex and you can't expect me to do this you know trying to match me up to someone else etc cetera, etc cetera. so um they they seem to kind of receive that pretty well and then it buys you time right they can still get meaningful training in those weeks still training still sprinting jumping etc cetera, etc cetera. um and then it buys you time to 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 build that picture to go right i i think we might need to work on x or move towards this or or strength wise you're rubbish here that's got to increase because that's holding you back because of x y and z and let, let's see how it goes but then also, you know, having the confidence to say to them, look, you know, this is my best educated guess at the minute. Um, and not to say this is what's going to result in better performance because you're setting yourself up for if it doesn't, they're going to lose respect for you. But then also I think they're going to buy into it more if you're open and honest around that with them and get their input rather than saying, you know, I know what you need to do, you know. I suppose like any project, whether it's working as a consultant or you're working as a speed coach with an athlete, it's the scope of the project. Like the first period of time, we're going to do this. Then second period of time, we think we're going to do this. We're going to build in a little bit of leeway project, you know, um, uh, delay or whatever it is. And everyone's just on the same page from the get-go. But I mean, the the biggest thing, the, I suppose the biggest question maybe come in is you've made that technical change it's taken time to manifest itself you've increased you've sorry you've improved that 10 meter sprint time they're playing the games and you're speaking to the coach and they're not seeing that translate to the pitch they're still having the same complaints as before which is why i or the hypothetical athlete was sent to you or came to you in the first place what's i'm sure that's a common discussion that goes on all over the world. Oh, I don't know. If maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But how do you, how would you, as a coach, deal with that? Yeah, what well, I think, and that part of that goes back to trying to get the background information on the expectations in the first place. You know, is it the linear sprinting capacity? So getting just from A to B in a straight line, is that the issue for the athlete? Because you know, the coaches might talk about their speeds but mean it in a slightly different context. So, you know, to change direction, you know, they, they face in this situation, they can't, I don't know, stop and turn to track the defender, you know, whatever it is, or do it in response to that person. So getting that clarity, first of all, is important. But on the other side of things, you know, if you, if you can enhance someone's linear sprinting capacity, then provided, um, you know, or, or by doing so, you are going to increase the number of attacking and defending opportunities available to them, right? That that's if if there's a gap, talking in rugby terms, there's a gap, right? If 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 I couldn't make it before, but I've got someone faster, 
then there's an increased opportunity for them to, to run through that gap, right? Um, but then there's a caveat as to, I guess, it's missing then providing that they are exposed to opportunities that amplify that opportunity, right? So if they're not getting chances in training um, to test out whether they can or not make those spaces um, or, or get through those gaps, then they might not recognize it as an option on, on the field. Okay, so then part of that then, so let, let's say we did have that situation where we've made that change there, linear capacity over 10 meters or whatever, or whatever we're looking at, it is better. But then there's that information going back, well, it's not really translating over onto the field. Well, then the decision there it, it's to, be, uh, to be made is right, well, how is the new op potential, new opportunities available to them being amplified in practice? Is it being taken care of in their rugby or football training? If not, then right, well, it might be worth exploring more contextual-based speed work where you manufacture situations to try and amplify those situations and then allow time for that to come over into the game, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so that, that would be my general kind of thought process on it. Just thinking of your kids playing games or playing FIFA in the background. Do they, do they, mm -hmm. they not in the background, but in a different room, do they play sport? Do they ever chat to yeah. you about this kind of stuff? Well, I, I try to. Uh, yeah, they they'd have no interest whatsoever, and I wouldn't want to. Last thing I want to do is talk about it at work and then come home and talk to a, a kid about it as well. But so no, they don't. But you know, but I, you know, I'll I'll um, try and nudge them towards certain sports to, you know, help where I can. But no, I'd I'd never um, talk to them about it. I wouldn't want to. But again, like, let them do enough the variety of activities that i think is beneficial for them i mean i, I don't force them they, they want to do it and, and let that take care of itself cool well there's there's so i've got my page of notes which i normally do every the line but i filled it i've had to go every line so thank you very much it's very much appreciated right, firstly thank you firstly where can where and when it might be now can people get the second edition of the book and what is the book just give us a little um, brief yeah, so it's um, you can get it on on Amazon through either hard copy or or on Kindle now as an ebook. And it it's the title is um, is strength training for speed, practical uh, scientific principles it? and practical, it yeah implications um but ap applications but um but yeah so it's it's basically around kind of I guess the basics of you know strength designing strength training. Um, to help support kind of speed development so it, it, it's not suggesting that you know if you strength train you'll get faster and you know other things are more important for speed development like like sprinting but but it's you know where does it feature within the wider program and how can it support speed development but it's um but it, but i think a lot of it covers you know principles that transfer across um you know not just sprinting but lots of other um, you know, movements in, in in sport and and developing strength to support that. Um, there's a, a video kind of library with it now, so yeah, put QR codes that. in so you can scan those the QR codes to bring up kind of a, a video libraries to help people. Um, I guess help coaches or, or, or students that need to kind of apply um, in in the field. But uh, yeah, great. And it's out. It's out. People can get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. it's out now. Yeah, excellent. 
Perfect. And last last but not least, where can people find you on social media? So I guess the, the only place really that I'm kind of active is, is on Twitter. Um, well, it's, it's kind of pretty sp- sporadic when I'm I'm on there. But um, it's Wildy under, so W-I-L-D-Y underscore J-J. No. Otherwise, people are free to kind of email me and stuff. But um, Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the last hour. Look forward to uh, chatting in March at the conference. I'll let you go and crack on with your day. Appreciate cool, it. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Cheers. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 434 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode with James. I thought it was an unbelievable episode, and I know I've said this a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but it's definitely the case. This is one of my favourite episodes. Firstly, because I think James is fantastic, and the way he delivers information I think is incredible, which is why he's coming to the Sportsmith Speed Conference in March. Big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Play, Kitman Labs, and Rewire Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in and look forward to chatting to you next time.